the Bible Study Podcast, episode 186. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of Revelation with chapter 2. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I will tell you this episode will have a little more background noise than others because I'm recording it in a hotel room in Boston. So I hope you will excuse any background noise that uh, may happen. So we started a study of Revelation, and as I said, I don't promise to finish this study, but we're going to continue on at least through the beginning of the book. And the beginning of the book starts with letters to the seven churches. And so Revelation 2 is all letters, and it's letters to individual churches. And it goes like this. To the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this letter has a form that the other letters will take as well, and that is talking to the different churches about individual specific things that they are doing, and usually starting with the things they are doing right, and then talking about the things that they are doing wrong. And so the word of him who holds the seven stars, and one thing to remember, there's a lot of numerology in Revelation, more so than in other things in the Bible. Seven stars and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Seven is usually in the number that means complete. And so these are a letter to the seven churches, seven churches in Asia Minor, and quite possibly we would interpret the one who holds the seven stars as the one who holds all the stars. So since seven is a complete thing. So I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. So these, you've done really well, basically, is how this starts out. I know you don't tolerate wicked men. You test things to make sure that they're true. You have persevered hardships. Remember, the church at large here is under persecution. Persecution at this point, not as it is in Acts by the Jewish religion, but by the Romans at this point. But, and here's the problem, you've forsaken your first love. Remember that when we think about the Christian faith, and we've made this argument in the Bible Study Podcast throughout the Bible Study Podcast, I make the argument that Christianity is about relationship, that this is about relationship with God, that all of the Bible, front to back, is about relationship. And what this is saying is maybe at this point, like an old married couple, you're just going through the motions. You've forgotten that passion that you had at first. You've forgotten all those little things you used to do at first. You know how you used to open the door for your wife, but you stopped doing that. The passion has cooled at this point. You've forgotten your first love. Maybe it also means at this point that something else has become more important. This is a marriage that's at risk. This church here is at risk of forgetting the most important thing in their life is the bridegroom, 
which is Christ. And that is the picture that is used both in Revelation and elsewhere for the church and Christ is a marriage. And so think of what you would tell your friends who had forgotten their first love. You know, your marriage is in trouble. And so when it says, I may come and remove your lampstand, basically at this point, that's divorce. That is, that is, if God is not going to be first in your life, then okay. But I'm not taking second. Okay? Then there's this issue with the Nicolaitans. And we don't know exactly what was the problem with the Nicolaitans, but there's some hints. This is a heresy that did not survive that long, but we do get hints from some of the early church fathers. So Arrhenius, for instance, said that they lead lives of unrestrained indulgence. And then Thomas Aquinas, writing much later, said that they it was of the belief that they either supported polygamy or the holding of many wives in common, where one woman would be the wife of multiple husbands. And whatever the specifics of the practices are, they are at odds with what God's law describes. And so he says, we've got these people who are coming about teaching this false message. This is good that you haven't been listening to them. Let him who has an ear, let him hear, says the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the fruit of life. So again, ending on a positive note here that... If you overcome the temptations, if you overcome the persecution, then you will be with me in paradise. Again, this whole book is about hope to a church in persecution, but a church that is imperfect. So we look at our churches these days and we think, gee, this church is not perfect. Already by this point, and we're still in the first century, all of the churches that he's writing to here are not perfect. Churches are made of imperfect people. Remember, we're not talking about buildings. There are no church buildings yet. So when we say church, we mean the group of believers. You can't form something perfect out of material that is imperfect. And so churches are imperfect. And they are going to remain imperfect on this side of eternity. We should point out, too, that that was the letter to the church in Ephesus and Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. We also get a lot of the early church leaders come out of Ephesus, Polycarp and Arrhenius. And that is the place where church history tells us that Mary uh, lived and then died and was buried. And that John the Apostle was there in Ephesus for a long time. So this was one of the major centers of the early church. And of all of the letters, this is the most important city for the church for some time. Probably the center of the church would be Rome, Ephesus, Antioch, and uh, later on Alexandria. To the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, I tell you. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And so the church in Smyrna gets bad news, but they don't get any condemnation. They don't get any critique, let me say, since condemnation is the wrong term to use. 
so I have to swallow my words almost immediately that there's critique of all of the different churches. They get this letter from the one who is first and last, who died and came to life again, again from Jesus. But Jesus isn't named by name, but again, his attributes are named. And I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know yet you are rich. So this is a church that is suffering persecution. And I said the persecution was from the Romans. In this case, this is persecution, it sounds like, coming through some of the Jewish synagogue, the local Jewish synagogue. And they're getting word here that when they get this letter, this is a letter that a specific time they're going to have 10 days of very awful persecution and that some will die. So they know that bad is coming, but it will be short-lived and that there is a crown of glory available. And did you notice he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death? That basically the time of judgment when it comes, as everything is reckoned out, this will be in retrospect a small thing compared to the sheep and the goats being separated. To the church in Pergamum. To the angel in the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. How would you like to hear that the place where you live is the place where Satan dwells? Because that's the word to the church of Pergamum. Pergamum is a city that is a center for emperor worship, so that might be what that is referring to. If you want to see the temple at Pergamum, that's actually in a museum in Berlin now. And I didn't say in the earlier parts, but did you notice that all of these are written to the angel of the church in And I think one of the things, remember angel is a messenger of God, is one of the things to keep in mind is that God doesn't leave us alone and that God doesn't leave churches alone. That there is a messenger of God who is standing guard there in Pergamum that is protecting this church. And so this is a city, Pergamum, where people have already been put to death for their faith. Antipas is named in here specifically. But he says, you hold to the teachings of Balaam. And Balaam, you may remember, is the story of the man who is brought out to curse the Israelites in the book of Exodus. And he is corrected by his donkey and told not to curse Israel. And so he blesses them instead. But he figures out a way to ensnare them, which is to have the local women expose themselves to the Israelites who then got involved with these local women and started committing idolatry. And so probably the two things that are going on here is an intermixing of those who are Christian with those who are not. So sexual immorality is mentioned here and also idolatry, as happened in the story of Balaam. And so he says, hang on a second here. Remember how we had back here before that 
the church in Ephesus had lost its first love. This is a church that has stepped out. This is a church that is sleeping with somebody else. This is a church that is cheating on God. That is not something that is desired. And that is not something that is tolerated. Notice that this letter is introduced as the words of one who has a sharp, double-edged sword. This is a scary Jesus that is introduced to this church. Repent, therefore, or I will come and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And then I will give you some hidden manna. Manna, remember, is the bread that was given to the people of Israel in the wilderness to give them strength. It was provided by God miraculously. So I will give you provision miraculously. I will support you and give you strength miraculously. I also give you a white stone with a new name on it. And a name is very important because remember when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you're not Simon, you're Peter now. You're rock. He is basically defining the characteristics that he sees in Peter that Peter will become. Names are important because they're a symbol of the people and they are a and they're a handle on their key attributes. And so he says, basically, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to change who you are. And then finally, to the church in Thyatira. To the angel in the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead." Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burdens on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so Thyatira has this problem that they are accepting the teachings of a false teacher, a false prophetess. And again, like the church earlier, they are being led into sexual immorality and to the eating of the food sacrificed to idols. And so God has been patient with, up until this point, Jezebel, but he is about to judge her. And he's about to judge her and her children and those who have been listening to her. And so this, again, is a scary Jesus. This is a Jesus who says, who has an iron scepter. This is a Jesus whose eyes are like blazing fire. So this is a Jesus who is on the other side of the resurrection and is a risen, powerful son of God. And so we should see that in this, although Jesus is still the Jesus who died for our sin, this is still a God who cared about sin. 
Remember, God cared so much about sin that he was willing to sacrifice his son. That doesn't mean he stops caring about it. And so he does care about what we do. And again, think again of that model of the relationship between the church and Jesus as being a marriage relationship. And you are not indifferent, even in a good marriage, to what your spouse is doing. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.